Welcome to Mentor Mountain, everybody. My name is Cole Tanner. I am your host, and today we have Chad Shumway. Chad is successful in quite a few businesses, but one in particular, he is the co-founder and CEO of a business that is bringing in over $100 million per year. And pay attention to the people he keeps in his life, in particular, his father, who is just an amazing mentor, brilliant guy who very entrepreneurial minded. He tried and failed and kept trying and figured things out. And Chad took right after him. And the conversation we're having goes right into where Chad grew up, which is a small town. It's just that classic, small, all American town, really. So that's where, that's how Chad describes it. And so that's where we begin and enjoy. Um, Blanding just grew up just American, American high school boy. I, I uh, lots of sports. Played high school basketball, football, a little bit of baseball, ran track. To this day, I, I credit um, my I don't want to say my success, but my lack of jail time uh, to those <laughs> friends I had in high school. Um, I still I had the chance to go to lunch with my old high school quarterback Josh Nelson, now Doctor Nelson. Um, Guys like him, you can't ever go wrong trying to emulate. And and I've heard the phrase, if you want to see your future, look to your friends. And, and that's that's so true. Um, so just had very, very good friends that I couldn't do any wrong when I was around them. Um, and, uh, again, sports, lots of practices kept you out of trouble. Um, one of the things I did as a kid is work-wise, we worked our guts out. Um, we had a crew of kids. There might have been seven or eight of us, and we hauled all the hay in the county. And so we'd line up all the farmers around, and, and we'd literally have every day scheduled for, I don't know, a month or so, and we'd just go haul hay. And that that was such a character build for me. That was so powerful. To this day, I enjoy hauling hay, which is weird. Um, I just remember the blisters and the pain, and, and but those are the friends I'll, I'll – you just develop such a – when you suffer together, you can't help but be friends. Um, yeah. yeah, and then uh, worked at some gas station a little bit. Uh, my dad was always entrepreneurial, so he, one year he leased a, an orchard and we picked cherries and apples and sold them to a local grocery store. He bought a little, was a little, but he bought a, a, a fruit tree sprayer and we put it in the back of an old Dodge pickup. And we would, if I remember, right, we charged seven dollars fruit tree. And for a high school kid, we made really good money. I mean, that that was just, and so we. It was just great. Um, again, I think he taught us. I think it's the way his mind works, but it's just what he taught us is when when he's driving on the road, he's looking for opportunities. Everywhere there's an opportunity. To this day, he's still doing it. To this day, he's calling me. He's calling me right now within the last week or two about some a big uh, opportunity that he's found that he thinks is a gold mine. So, and that's just how his mind works. He's just always looking for the next. And he just and he enjoys it. It's not necessarily about uh, making money. It's about and producing and making um, making a difference. Uh, that's really I think what drives him, and I think to some extent me. Yeah, definitely. Let's focus on after high school now. What were the events that happened? You graduated high school, and what? Yeah, early adulthood. So I I uh, I moved. To Utah County, I was working for an excavation company. Um, they loved dumb redneck kids from small towns because they would get a, they would complain that it was better than hauling hay. So, 
I worked for a company called Kenny Sang Construction, and Kenny Sang and I have now become very good friends. Nice, In the last nice. year, I built a friendship with Kenny Sang. In fact, I purchased a farm from him. Yes, you heard that right. Chad purchased a farm from him. Um, that's just a beautiful farm. He's, like I said, become a good friend. So we have always respected. Um, I worked for him for, I want to say four years, probably. Maybe he's only three. Heck, maybe he's only two. It's been so long. Um, and, um, uh, pretty lonely back then. And so that, that was, I think a tough place for me to be. I was a fish out of water up here, met my wife through a friend that I worked with. Um, we got married not too long after, um, I think we dated for a year and I got married after that, but I was just a young kid. It's always funny in hindsight, you know, I always feel like you have a, how. You're an adult. You have a perspective of the world. I didn't. I did. I thought I did, but I didn't. You had your perspective, right? It was yeah, my perspective. That's all it matters. So I got married probably too young, and we had to turn and grow up together. And we, we we were married for 13 years. I had th- I have three kids. She and I are still very good friends. And we were not through our whole divorce, but we were we are now. She actually works for me right now, and uh, we have a, we have a great working relationship and a great friend relationship that is. Um, tailored towards what's best for our kids, the three kids that we have together. So it, in the end, it, it turned out okay. Um, and with the three kids added to it, it turned out really well. That's awesome. Um, let's see. So when you first got married, you so you were working in construction for a few years. And then what? I quit. I started a little landscaping business. And, and it's just because I felt like I needed to do something to get further um landscaping is not tough and i had worked for a landscaper and and, and kind of knew how to put i loved i loved putting in sprinkler systems that was just fun for me i actually <laughs> i still think that's so fun a special man <laughs> well it's just, it, it really is it, it really is interesting and I, and, I, and I love to do it and, and tinker with it and do it the right way and the intricacies of it it's it's it is fun for me um so i jumped in that world for a little while but the reality of it is the competition there is brutal because everybody with a pickup and a shovel can be a landscaper. So I I kicked, scratched, and, and moaned for four, three or four years anyways, just trying to make ends meet. I did okay, but it really was um, just brutal. I never got to another level, so it, it was a dead end. And I, I, I think I voiced that to my dad. So one day my dad came up. I lived on a, in a house in Pearl, and he came up and sat down. I, I was behind on my mortgage i was struggling with really every financial aspect of my life and he sat me down and said how much is your business worth and i said what are you talking about he said, i want to buy it and i'm just like what? it's not it's not worth anything that um yeah um, he said well it's gotta have some value and he tried to pull me up and tell me what it was worth um but where he was going because i'm writing a check so i'm gonna buy it and then he moved me and my family into the house that I grew up in that he had now moved out of and built a new house. Now, I think parents walk a fine line between investing in their kids and giving them a crutch and bailing them out. I'm more of the opinion that Chad's dad was investing in Chad at this point and his future family, but I want to know your opinion. Comment below. And paid off all my bills and, um, and helped me get into school. Um, and then we lived there for four or five years, I think, rent-free. 
And at the end of that five years, my wife and I had both graduated from college, um, had degrees that we valued. Um, what was what were your degrees? So my wife at the time got a nursing degree, and that's where she's okay, plugged cool. into to the company I'm in now. So she she had an associate's degree and then went on to the nursing side of things. And I had a um, was called a social studies composite, which basically meant I could teach a lot of different things in the educational world. And so I didn't want to be the gym teacher, but I'd been a basketball coach for her dad, who was the coach at Provo High School for a long time. And I just, I, I love basketball. So my goal was to be a basketball coach. Um, I think this story of Chad going into education and mentoring kids tells a lot about his character. It's, I know that we could get onto the sexy stuff and how he made his millions, but first it's so, so important to know who you have to be in order to make those millions worth it. Chad has continued to support people and help people and bring people up. And it's started before he made his millions. So that's why we're not getting onto the sexy stuff yet. And that's why we need to touch on this education part. And that's, yeah, that's, that was a big, that was a big step forward. And um, I coached, I was assistant coach, I coached a little bit of pro high school when I lived up here, at, uh, had the landscaping business. And then uh, I was a coach, helped out in Blanding while I was going to school down there under two other head coaches. And then my first job out of the gate was on a little tiny, my first real head coaching job, school south of Blanding called Montezuma Creek. It's a predominantly Navajo um, school. It's on the Navajo reservation. And I had a riot. Um, great kids. I, I fell in love with them. They're still, some still stay at my house when they go up here for this or that. And, and just, just a really neat opportunity for me to make a difference. And we was a home, we was a home game in two years. Uh, we, we were, awesome. we were good. We, I don't remember where we finished at state. The first year we did pretty good. The second year we probably should have won it all. If they had a better coach, we probably would have. I always blame myself. Um, but you just, you know, you made a difference. And I already have had to, I told this story a few times. One, one night in the middle of the night, my phone started ringing and it had ring two or three times, I think before it woke me up, but I picked the phone up and there was a, a kid that I had coached some quite a few years earlier at, from Montezuma Creek. Um, his name's Trevor Martin. He's one of my favorite kids of all time. Um, and, and, uh, he said, Hey coach, I said, who's this? You know, I, t- uh, this is Trevor Martin. And I'm thinking, what the heck you call me at two in the morning? And he said, my two sisters and my brother were in the car accident and they're all three dead. I don't know who else to talk to. Oh my goodness. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like what? I mean, I, I couldn't do anything except for at the end, thank him for giving me the opportunity to be the guy he would call. And so I, to this day, he and I are very, very good friends. His daughter just, uh, as a freshman, placed second or third in state and cross country. She's a phenomenal basketball player. Um, he's always calling me, asking me for drills and things. And so, yeah, just that, that kind of thing is just super powerful. And, and uh, that, that's something I'll, I'll always treasure. Um, from Montezuma Creek, I gravitated towards Nephi. I was a high school coach there for one year. It was a good year. I think we had a winning re- record. I think the year before they only won two or three games. 
So I felt like I was in a good place, but the, had no child left behind to come out. That some sh- massive budget cuts, and they got rid of all their first year teachers, which included me. Uh-huh. And so I felt like that was just a slap in the face. And with my family, did everything I could, and, and they just. So I was able to to get another job um, in Riverton, uh, Riverton High School, and that was going okay. But I I kind of had a bit of a nervous breakdown in, the, in through all that. Um, and so that was really kind of where my wife and I split. Didn't didn't go very well, and uh, through a pretty brutal divorce, um, landed on my feet at Riverton, coached there and taught there for half the year, um, and uh, then just couldn't handle it anymore. I remember I, think I grabbed a kid behind the neck or something. I thought this is this is where I get in a lot of trouble, um, yeah. and, and I just I wasn't in a good place to be in a classroom. So. I quit, I quit working at Riverton and, um, most people I think at this point in life would probably concede quite a bit, but not Chad. I think what he does next is quite notable being that he not only kept moving, but he used his creativity and opened up his mind at the same time. Maybe this is my dad's blood and mate. They were redoing all of the railroad ties and crossings in Utah County up to Salt Lake County for the front runner when they started the front runner. So they were ripping out all the old wooden um, railroad tracks and replacing them with concrete ones. Um, That's the railroad ties. So I started getting railroad ties from my dad and then people that I knew in Blanding because railroad ties to farmers and ranchers are a big deal. You can build the best bets out of them. They're just, and then I kind of saw the light and I thought, you know what? I can do it. So I, Started selling railroad ties on KSL and uh, was working with the crews that were tearing out the wooden ones. And, you know, I was buying them for one or two dollars a piece. I was selling them for 15 bucks um, on on KSL. That was, you're not supposed to ever have the steel on them. So the steel on it, you get in trouble if you try and sell the steel. So I didn't know what to do with the steel. But if you're looking at a railroad tie, there's obviously the rail, and the rail is, you can't. The rail was never attached to the tie, but what there is attached to the tie is a plate, and that plate actually holds the tie uh, or the, holds the rail to the to the tie, and that's where the big railroad nails spikes come into play. And so I couldn't do any of those nails, but I had a bunch of them, and I bought a um a giant crowbar. It was taller than me, so it was seven or eight feet tall, and it was it really was a claw so that I could rip those um, nails out of the railroad ties, and then. I started listing on. I don't even know. I advertised it. I want to advertise that. Like eBay. I advertise on eBay. And so it, that steel is very high quality steel, has to be. And it ends yeah. up being a square about, I don't know, I'd say eight inches by 12 inches of a rectangle. And because the steel was so high quality, it was actually perfect for shooting steel, shooting guns at. So I was selling that for $15 a plate. And um, back then, I don't know if it, the U.S. Postal Service still has it, but it was a, if it fits, it ships. And you could put it in uh, an envelope and, and you could ship whatever, whatever you could fit in that envelope, you could ship anywhere in the anywhere you want for five bucks. And so I would put it in. That's two, a heavy envelope. Yes. Well, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a cardboard. So I would stick two or three of those envelopes and, and then duct tape it. And I would take that in and. For $5, I could ship those plates all across the United States for $15. Yeah. 
So one roto tie that cost me one or two bucks, I was probably clearing almost thirty bucks, I guess. Um, and I made really good money, but I, I, I had, I always had one other person helping me, and I would go through those guys like crazy because nobody, it wasn't good work. It was brutal, dirty, nasty. Uh, I think my lungs are probably damaged from it actually. Um, broken fingers. It was, it was, it was rough. Money was really good. There was days I made really, really good money. Um, but my dad had an idea because my grandfather was really sick, and um, he got sick from mining uranium and blanding, which is what most of the industry was in blanding. Still is. There's a big, maybe the biggest employer down there besides the school district is a the only active uranium uh, mill in, in the United States. So with uranium, why did they mine uranium? Well, there's a lot of reasons, um, but the, primarily the one that my grandpa dealt with was um, to build nuclear power plants in the nuclear ball um, oh, and to help win the Cold War. At that point in time, it was a race to see who could build the most nukes, which at some point doesn't make any sense. You're only going to blow the world up five times. You can't blow up six. Um, yeah. So yeah. just, just, but whatever, we, we had the arms race and, and so it was just going gangbusters that, down that road. Yeah, so my grandpa got sick, and there was a company that was taking care of him, and he recognized that they were flying nurses into Blanding to take care of him. So he he saw there's a, probably an opportunity. There's no reason that we should look into it. So, again, give my dad really all the credit. He paid my little brother to not do summer sales. My little brother, I think, at the time was working at R.C. Willie and then selling not solar. I think it was trash can services in the summer. And... Uh, and maybe playing some football, I think, at Weber State. And he's paid him, if I remember right, $2,000 a month to not do that. Lived in his basement and researched this thing put together. So, wow. Yep. So my my brother called me and said, hey, do you want to come and work for me? And uh, and I knew that I had a reservation really well by that point in time with the coaching I'd done down there and all the contacts I had. So I went down there out of the reservation, and we did really well. There was the reservation had lots of uranium mines, and so we the, the market was pretty open, and, and the competition that was there didn't do a very good job, and so we really just took 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 the market share over and, and, and really tore it up. It was awesome. So before you started that venture, since you've hopped around, I feel like this is the journey of a lot of entrepreneurs. So this is why I'm asking you. Yeah, a lot of times there's failure involved, or not necessarily failure, but learning experiences. And then you move on from those and you move on to a next venture. What's the mindset going into a new venture, knowing that you've already failed? What goes through your mind? So this is more really deep stuff. I, uh, this is more Dr. Phil, I guess, not Jerry Springer. <laughs> I, I, um, I was in a really bad place. I'd just gone through a nasty divorce. And it was not seeing my kids as much as I would have liked to. It was, it, I was not happy. I mean, and the, and the future I saw in front of me at that point in time was, was pretty bleak. Um, hauling railroad ties the rest of your life. Doesn't matter how much money you make. That's just a, so I had this chance. I jumped out of it, but it was just really just a chance to try something different and go sulk and pout and whine and wallow in my sorrows somewhere else. But, um, work is the best. You're you're always happier when you're working. So I, I try to work a lot. So I spent a lot of time tracking down that the, these these elderly Navajo men that worked in the uranium mines, 
and building a census for this company. And, and it, and so really without really trying, there wasn't really a lot of drive and desire to, for the future. It was really just drive and desire to keep, keep my mind busy and keep me busy and try and find some reason to have some form of success. And, and that's what happened. So I lived in Bluff, Utah, I camp trailer for a while, and then moved after I had quite a bit of success in that area. And then I moved to briefly to Kansas, Arizona, and and did the same there. Opened an office there, and then last, lastly, a lot, I moved to Grants, New Mexico, and, and it started an office there and, and did well there. At that point, you know, we had another partner named John Falls, and uh, we really got aggressive with we can take this to another level and we realized that there was facilities across the United States that all were eligible for this program. So I kind of shifted gears. I went from, Hey, I'm going to keep building the four corners area to the sky's the limit and, and, and the nation is my oyster. So I started opening offices up everywhere um, and building relationships with staff, teaching them how to find patients and teaching them how to build offices and manage people. Um, I still was probably the third. I'd say my brother was, I mean, he really ran the, the billing side of things, made a lot of major decisions. And then uh, my other partner, John Falls, he ran almost a separate sister corporate office in Wyoming. And I was really the boots on the ground, just the grinder that the one out and did. And they knocked, knocked the doors and beat the pavement. But at some point, I started to what develop relationships with people on the field. My brother never really was involved outside of blending, so he 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 just stayed in blending, and he didn't really want to grow outside of blending. I think his his mindset was, "I can let them go do it for me." I think we're really probably down to. Um, John did a great job, really kind of broadened our horizons with his thought process, which is like bigger, better. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I followed I followed really John's example. Um, and and we just we, we blew up. We got we got really big. At, at some point in time, my brother really kind of just decided he was burned out. John t- stepped away, decided he really didn't want to be that involved anymore. So at that point, it was really a good opportunity for me to step up and try and do the things I believe are important for the company. And so I've been the CEO of United Energy Workers Healthcare for um, I don't know. It's probably going on seven or eight years now, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's, if it if I had that title that long, but that's that's been the length I guess. It's been the responsibility. Yeah, and it, and I actually just, I'm I'm late to this meeting because I was getting some some overview. So I mean, at this point in time, where hmm, I can't hold. We're taking care. Oh, sorry, tried that. We're taking care of almost two thousand patients. Um, and we're, by the end of the year, we'll be probably well over two thousand. Um, I think overall the companies were were employing about twenty five to six hundred contractors and employees. We're in thirty four or five states. Uh, we were up, about a year and a half ago. Two private equity groups came together and bought the majority of the company out. That's been a roller coaster in and of itself. Um, been been kind of crazy. Um, Walk me through the growth phase because most people, they hear, we started this business because they thought we thought it was a good idea, realized it was a good idea, and then grew it. I feel like there are a lot of stories in there. What, what was a major 
setback or what was one of the first events you remember when you were venturing outside of the state of Utah? I mean, I couldn't catch a plane. Cole, I, didn't, I, I missed so many flights because I didn't recognize where – I remember once I was in Albuquerque and I never even went through the security. I thought for some reason someone was just going to come and get me and say, Mr. Sean, we flight right. Um, yeah, I'm just a dumb redneck kid. I So I, I do know there's been a couple times in my life where I look back and thought, um, man, I have sure – come a long ways from Mayberry from that little tiny town um, that I was so poor that we didn't know we were that poor, but so poor that oftentimes our shoes didn't really fit very well. Um, so it, it is what it is. I mean, I think I, I, to a company that's probably going to be well over a hundred million dollars annually, probably $130 million annually. So it, it's, yeah, it's it, it's very 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 surreal to reflect and think where I came from and where I'm at. Probably one of the biggest messages I could give to anybody is that um, it is really difficult to see what you have never seen. It's really difficult to understand how big you can actually go without somebody showing you the way to get there, um, or at least seeing somebody else go first before you. And I think that's, um, again, I'll credit my business partner, John Falls. He is he is so happy-go-lucky and so crazy and just bigger is better and there's never more is never enough. And and I, I really used to just laugh at him, but in reality, his brilliance was that he didn't ever let his own mind hold him back. Uh, he did, It was just awesome. So he taught me that. He really did. And I think it's kind of an Elon Musk scenario. I, I mean, Elon Musk doesn't ever – he just goes big. He does, there's never, um, hey, that's enough, or hey, that's scary to try to do that. It's always, let's just go as big as we can. And if we can get close to that, then we've had some success. Um, so that's been a huge thing for me is, is changing my mindset to um, that. And I, I've oftentimes said a lot of my competition did really well, um, but I thought that their company stopped at the, at the um, city limits. They... You know, there's a Grand, Grand Sur Mexico is just a, a bloodbath for this industry as far as competition goes. But most of those companies never realize there's something outside of their city limits. And so they've stayed there. They've had a lot of success. They've made a lot of money, but they never recognize our potential. And that was one thing that I think John Falls pushed me and this company. And then I think I, I think I grabbed it and took it to a different level. And, and now I've got private equity guys in here that have more intelligence and experience that I can imagine. And, and uh, they're, they're really pushing up to even the level that I would think was achievable. So it's, it's been, it's been awesome. That's really cool. So the relationship between you, John and your brother, it just seemed like it kind of fell together. Yeah, it did. I mean, it was, um, my brother's extremely conservative. He's very, um, analytical he's not that's his mindset um john is somebody made this analogy it made a lot of sense they said it's like uh way the poo um there's eeyore which is my brother travis he always, he always looks, <laughs> i'm gonna send this to him yeah he always <laughs> looks for the downside of things he looks for the dangerous looks for 
pitfalls. He looks the glasses half empty scenario, which frankly is oftentimes very powerful. Uh, yeah, it, it, it we needed that. And then you have Tigger, which is John Falls. He's bouncing all over the place. He's always wanting more. There's not enough honey. There's not enough anything. It's I gotta go, 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 go. And and that that balance travels out considerably. And then I think I was um, Winnie the Pooh, the thing I told me. Um, and in the end, I my what drives me is is taking care of people, taking care of patients, um, trying the, the whole quote that um, high tides raise all ships. I might be bastardizing it to some extent, but that's what I love. I, I don't want to get to the top of the mountain by myself because I mean, you got to always share the views. All can't share the view. It's just for you. That's that's not that fun. So the more people we can drag um, along and help participate in that winning team, that's where I get a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, it sounds like when you first started, it was kind of running away in a way just to stay busy, you know, keep your mind busy with what was going on in your personal life. And then as you started to succeed and make little wins or big wins, it changed your mindset and overall purpose toward life. Yeah, I mean, I, I always it didn't take me very long in the industry to know that there was there was potential for success. It took me a while, years, to recognize what that level of success really could be and how to achieve it. And and even now, I mean, it's pretty cool you're doing this, Cole. I'm going to challenge you. There's an old book that an, one of my old um, bosses, it was an audio tape actually, had me listen to. It was a cassette tape. And it's called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And I lost it and I couldn't find it forever. And I always wanted to listen to it. And I thought it was so powerful to me. I was like, man, this is so cool. Um, And it's about a seagull. And and if you read it from a children's perspective, it, it could be just a children's book. But if you look at it from a children's perspective with a moral lesson behind it, you really can take a lot away from it. I am a huge reader and I don't know how this book escaped me for so long, but if you haven't read it yet, it's in the description. It was like five bucks, hour and a half listen, and it changed my life. And and where I'm going with this is just just like that story of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Um, as my horizons broadened and my view of success changed dramatically, I was able to grasp bigger and bigger um, scenarios of success going forward. And that's, I really think, what separates the average mom and pop business from the big businesses that the deal in tens of millions of dollars is they, they can see the gravity of big, not just, Hey, I'm successful because I have a little bit of money in the bank. I can buy a new car. If I want to, I drive a new car. I, I made my house payment and I can make two or three more out that. I think a lot of people get so complacent with that level of success and that thought process of self success that they miss out on Elon Musk's dream of going to Mars someday. And that's just, really is just mindset. So what would you tell someone who's struggling with that mindset? Maybe they believe someone can do it, but maybe they have doubts about themselves. Like that's not me. I can't do that. Someone else that's smarter or more connected. I oftentimes make this joke and it's not a joke. It's funny because it's true. The best jokes are the ones that have some truth to them. 
I will go into a room these days where I am literally the dumbest person in that room. Uh, again, it's funny, but it's true. I recognize that. Um, I barely graduated from high school. Skin on my teeth. Like, literally, if I didn't have a great basketball coach that tried to keep me eligible and would go help me give my teachers to, to give me a chance, I probably wouldn't graduate from high school. That It was that bad. Um, there's nothing special about Chad Shumley. Like, it really isn't. Um, so it goes back to... If, if I can do it, anybody can. It's just it's just mindset. And uh, once you start believing you can do that, it does seem to multiply, to snowball, to and then and then it starts to feel almost easy, and you can connect the dots, and, and things start working towards you in the right way. One other thing I think, from my perspective, I'm a huge fan of Warren Buffett's, and the reason for that is because he's done it different for the most part than the other mega rich people warren buffett went out and built billions based upon for the most part what was between him and his buddies what was between their ears those two guys went out and just said hey we're going to go make some big big decisions we're going to trade companies buy stocks we're going to do this we're going to do that now obviously they have probably a huge team behind them now but he bought and sold Geico, I think, twice. And that story is pretty amazing. If you want to read about Warren Buffett and, and Geico, it's pretty powerful. But again, it was it was his own doing. Now, you change that up and you go with the Bill Gates. Bill Gates is obviously not stupid. But Bill Gates has, or even Elon Musk, but they are relying on other people to make them money. They couldn't do it on their own. Warren Buffett, if he was all by himself, had no other... Um, significant help would still be extremely wealthy. Um, obviously, he's had some some support over the years, but that's the, the difference between those two guys uh, or those two groups of people. Uh, I subscribe that I'm not smart enough to do anything that Warren Buffett does. So I follow kind of the second path, which is, again, Bill Gates has people all over the world. I, that guy um, went out and built a company and, and then had manufacturers and every he's making money off of other people's jobs. Um, and that's, that's my take. That's my take too. Like for me, you need to find a way to make money and then replicate and duplicate that without you having to have your thumb on top of it. That's how you really make money from, unless you're Warren Buffett, if you're Warren Buffett, <laughs> then you're amazing. Um, but that replication and then how to scale that replication is, that's so very difficult is to find something then replicate it and then learn how to scale that replication and learn how to manage that scale. To me, that's been some of the most difficult and trying things. Someone I've had some success, somewhat some failures. Um, I've always tried to find very, very good managers, always people that are smarter than me, but have a lot of passion towards helping people. And people that don't necessarily care that much about their paycheck as much as they do about helping their coworkers and about the patients that we take care of it is their number one, their pay is their number two. And and I built a company really with that mindset. That's I'm glad that you said that because that was gonna be my next question was what would you say to someone who's nervous about going into the scaling side of things and delegation and things like that? Because I'm sure that's nerve wracking. You Put your heart and soul into something and then you're giving a part of that responsibility away and you want to make sure it doesn't get messed up so it's tough i mean yeah it's it's a that's that's the hardest part for me 
is how to how to how to replicate the success and then how to scale that replication over and over and over and over and over. Um, yeah, a gumball machine makes money, but how do you get a gumball machine in a lot more stores where you can make a lot of money off gumballs? I actually wanted to get the gumball machine at one point, something never did. But I just thought you have a little machine sitting in every corner of every gas station that is just a cash cow waiting for some kid to go put a quarter in. Like, and if you do that a thousand times, pretty soon you'll make a lot of money. And that's just the same thought process with, with work and how to, how to scale that. Yeah. I love it. Chad, last question. Okay. You touched on it already. Where, what gives you the most satisfaction in life right now? Now that you're not as worried about money, I'm sure that there are some current concerns there because there's responsibility that comes along with that. But where do you find your life's purpose? You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of weird. I've had a lot of people ask me similar questions to this. I have something really weird. I'm scared to death of being broke. Like, I, I still worry about not being able to do it. My dad has been a millionaire two or three times over. He's made it, lost it, made it, lost He's one of those guys that they say, yeah, I made it, I lost it, I made it back. I'm too dumb. If I lose it, I'm never getting it back. <laughs> so for me, I, I, I'm I really trying hard to never lose it. Um, uh, so I, I'm, I have a lot of fear from that perspective. It's not healthy. I probably need to get away from that. But it is what it is. Um, I have a ton of... I guess what makes me happy, what gives me a sense of accomplishment is watching other people succeed. Um, that to me is just so amazing. And then if they can succeed as a group and, and they can all win together, that is just powerful. Um, and then family. I mean, as you know, I have a little, almost two year old and that's uh best thing ever is going home and she hears the door open and she's run, yelling my name and running for the door. That's and I think as I'm slowly starting to navigate away from being the CEO of, of, of UBW, that's going to take a bigger role in my life, which I'm excited about. Um, I'm kind of old for having a kid, but it's also a great time to to be able to take a step back and be a, probably a really do a lot more time as a father. Yeah. Well, she's a cutie. Yeah, she is. She's awesome. That's awesome. She's our mom's daughter, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, she's pretty cool too. Yeah. I really like her. Awesome, man. Well, Thor, the destroyer of worlds. Thanks for doing this, man. <laughs> Chad has, for those of you who are listening, Thor, the destroyer of worlds is on Chad's title right now. That's crazy. I put that on, I put that on another uh, um, virtual meeting I had, and it somehow carried over to this one. <laughs> <laughs> so your computer's like, all right, I'll call you that. I'm going to get on some meeting with a bunch of bankers or something. Like that. <laughs> Otherwise. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Everyone, this is Chad Shemway. And cool. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening to Chad's story. And if you enjoyed this, let me tell you the best thing you can do right now. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to the show if you haven't already so you don't miss another story just like this one. My name is Cole and this is 
moments that made them. Bye.